Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans. Welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, we are available all over the place, at least on iTunes. So if you're listening on Twitter, Spotify, if you're having some Google, uh, Google music, I believe it's Google podcast as well. Uh, we are talking about a win this week, a surprise win to be sure. Arizona Cardinals go into Lambeau Field, get the W at least, and we got someone who got to see it all live. Joined here by my co-host, at least I'm Blake Murphy, Blake Murphy seven on twitter the co-host is the venerable john venerable at johnny's football john how was lambeau field oh it was fantastic the ex- experience was uh everything you could expect uh went in went into it uh looking like it as more of an experience of seeing you know a piece of history football history and uh ended up with a cardinal win out of it which was totally unexpected but very well deserved for the team with how they played uh very out of character for this team to play that well uh everything stacked against them uh from the weather i mean like it looked cold i'm sure on television it was freezing with the wind it was in high 20s uh wind coming from all directions snow a little bit of sleet in the second half i i had no expectations for this team uh, especially when you consider the injuries on the offensive line, um, everything played against them to, to a T and, and give them credit. I thought they, they put together their most complete game of the season, still not a perfect game, but when you consider that they came into this game, having been embarrassed by the San Diego chargers a week before flying into green Bay, DJ Humphreys not dressing, you're, you're undermanned at several positions. The offensive line lost IU potty midway through the game for them to come out and first of all play the kind of defense that they played I'm sure was what they envisioned playing week in and week out with Steve Wilkes this looked more like the defense that we've seen uh year and years prior under Bruce Arians and, and his fine defensive coordinators they probably had their best day I thought Antoine Bethea played his best game of the season they were incredibly physical the Packers Really, I thought would try to establish the run game with Aaron Jones for for whatever reason he inexplicably only had 11 carries uh, and, and give the Cardinals credit kind of shut him down for 3.3 yards per carry. Aaron Rodgers I thought was was very pedestrian on the day uh, and you know I don't think he was really hampered by the conditions he he moved the ball incredibly well when he when he let it rip but you know 50 attempts 31 completions for a mere 233 yards and one touchdown. Very average day for him. Uh, and, you know, I'll give the Cardinals credit offensively, too. Even when they weren't scoring points, they were able to sustain drives, play the field position game. Uh, and what can you say about the, the special teams of the Cardinals? We'll get into the injury to Christian Kirk, which, which is a big-time shame because he's been fantastic returning the ball. And then I thought the two really kind of unsung heroes of the day, Zane Gonzalez I get, gets a lot of the headlines, and, and rightfully so, making two 44-yard field goals in 
I, extra points in this game I thought were going to be difficult before the game started. I thought both teams might have to go for two. Zane makes two clutch field goals, including the game winner. And then to me, Andy Lee was fantastic. This this was probably his best game as an Arizona Cardinal. That's absolutely saying something because he's been fantastic since the team brought him on board. A 64-yard uh, punt uh, in the second half. He had a punt die on, I think it was like the five-yard line. He was unbelievable. The, the Packers were behind the eight ball the entire game. And then the offense did just enough to, to keep the chain moving. They, they very rarely had three and outs. Uh, it, it was just a, a complete performance, I thought. Uh, rushing the football, listen, uh, Chase Edmonds ran exceptionally well. You know, we talked about it off air, Blake. I didn't think David Johnson was running poorly. I think the Packers stacked the box and they needed somebody to take it to the outside. They needed to run a little bit east and west in this game. Um, and, and have the speed to cut the corner. Edmonds did that to his credit, breaking tackles. And then, you know, Josh Rosen to me, his stat line did not do him justice at all. I know he only completed 11 passes for 50, 150 yards, but you know, his throw to Larry Fitzgerald, his throw, his throw to Christian Kirk. I know people were saying, why didn't you lead him? You, you could have had a touchdown that was into the wind. I mean, it, it's, it's exceptional for, for him to even be able to get that ball off and for have it travel the distance to Kirk throwing that ball into the wind, getting it completed. I thought he showed incredible poise. Mobility was on display. People knock him because they think he's a statue. He's escaping pressure. The offensive line is a, is a mismatch, a bunch of street free agents and, and undrafted players and late round picks. I thought he played one of his best games of the season. Everybody in the, the, the box I was with were very impressed with Rosen uh, and clearly see a bright future as do we, Blake. So it was a it was a fun time to see the team. What could be uh, a team that makes some strides? Not only the the latter part of this year, but maybe next year. And it's the nice thing is that we saw it with a lot of young players, and I think that was the biggest takeaway for me. Uh, but all in all, a, a great experience, and and one I won't forget, especially because the Cardinals were able to win. Yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, you get to see the first uh, victory the Cardinals have in like 69, 70 years at Lambeau Field, or even just in Green Bay. Lambeau Field hadn't even been built yet the last time the Cardinals had a victory. And I think you hit on the key point there is that the, seeing the promise of a young team where you had eight rookies for the Cardinals that played, which include two guys that were just, you know, dragged off kind of the free agency pile on the offensive line and Corey Cunningham, who continues to play well at the left tackle spot. Chase Edmonds with the two touchdowns and, uh, you know, Christian Kirk, you mentioned the big catch. He did suffer at least what looks like a foot injury. Uh, he tweeted out uh, a little while back. We were t- uh, sending this out on a Monday night following the game that he uh, had a successful surgery. He's expecting to be back in 2019. So it's sad to see you kind of lose a player who is not only just like the Cardinals clear cut number two receiver, but had been contributing in making plays. Now you're going to have to look at and see if Chad Williams can step up. If Ricky Seals Jones can get back involved, the Cardinals are probably going to be promoting other players too. But yeah, the, the young guys kind of, came and stepped up big time and that was very exciting to see i think the other thing i wanted to bring up as far as the game narrative was and i even mentioned this a couple of times um last week even some i think at least the we when i went to um I, some of the listeners at least were able to listen to the radio spot that i was able to it was blessed to have this week we talked about how what would be the chance for the cardinals to get into this game and the biggest chance came from you would have to be able to hope that mike mccarthy would not run the football a lot with aaron jones and that is 
exactly what happened. McCarthy, even though they did hold Jones to about 3.3 yards per carry, he only gave him the ball 11 times. There were sometimes early in the game where you got to see once it started heating up that the Cardinals, you know, there was a lot of missed tackles early on in the game. They were able to kind of batten down the hatches. Rodgers missed a few throws, but that was kind of part of the key to me was you did see a Cardinals team that, you know, they came to play in a tough situation. You saw a Packers team that really didn't come to play where it was some drops that were happening. Rodgers, at least in times where he looked a little bit flustered, you got another sack, at least with Chandler Jones. A lot of the miscues it seemed were, I can understand why the Packers were just as frustrated with Mike McCarthy and with some of the play calling. It wasn't quite Mike McCoy as far as the other Mike McSee, but I could definitely see part of the frustration you'd have against going up against, you know, the 31st, 32nd ranked run defense. And you have Aaron Rodgers throw the ball in snowy, windy, rainy conditions 50 times in a game. That was, was kind of unbelievable to me. Um, and then you get to the end of the game, you have that situation. And this is where I still felt that the Cardinals had a, were kind of on their way towards potentially losing the game up until that pass completion to Larry Fitzgerald. Not sure where that call came from, if it was Wilkes' decision to be able to throw the ball in that, if you trusted Byron Leftwich with that decision. But it was the antithesis of what we would expect from a Mike McCoy decision. Mike McCoy, I think, would have just run a screen pass or run the ball, picked up four or five yards, cleared enough space for the puncher to not have to punt in their end zone give the ball back to Aaron Rodgers with a tie game. Instead, you see some aggressiveness, where, and I think that was one of the biggest things Cardinals fans have been waiting to see, pick up the yardage on the play, go down, get a field goal. Uh, and that was one of the biggest things. It's like, all right, the Cardinals, they did the right thing. They did what they're supposed to do. You talk about bailing out, but just the fact that Rosen was under pressure with that one, was able to escape, roll to his right, complete the pass, put it in a very, very good spot, at least where Fitzgerald had to go down to scoop it up, but he did get that kick with Zane Gonzalez. As you said, he did have the wind on his back, fortunately. I think that might have been one of the advantages the Cardinals had in that fourth quarter. And then kind of came the play of the game where the Cardinals, the Green Bay Packers, had driven down to the field. The offense still didn't seem to be clicking as far as being able to get close or being able to make it an easy field goal. Uh, Rodgers went for it and with a shot to the end zone that was covered, it was overthrown a bit, didn't give the receiver a chance. That was the one part where I'm like, oh, I have a feeling as soon as I knew that they did not take that quick five yard out, didn't try to make it a closer goal. I just had the sudden feeling of, I wonder if they're taking that shot to the end zone because they just don't trust their kicker. Like you get into overtime with that one. Maybe that's what they're fearing is the going into overtime and the Cardinals driving down for a game winning play, because that's been kind of the case the last few times they played the Packers. But that was the first time that I felt in my heart, Oh, the Cardinals are going to win this game because Mason Crosby is not going to be making this kick. Sure enough, that's exactly what happens. Cardinals walk away winner. And that was what was most impressive to me, John. We talked about it before we went on the air tonight. It wasn't that the Cardinals were up, you know, 18 to 17 the Packers were kicking the field goal to win they missed it Cardinals win it was that the Packers were kicking that field goal to tie the game to get it into overtime that was what was most impressive to me was that the Packers were the ones having to play catch up and they have to go for a game tying goal that told me that the Cardinals throughout this game they were just straight up the better team Yeah, they outplayed them in, in all three phases. Their special teams executed better defensively. They were superior. And then offensively, say what you will, they didn't turn the ball over and were much more efficient running the football. I mean, who would have ever thought the Cardinals would control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the <laughs> ball? Running for 182 yards, I know that can be skewed a little bit by the rushes by Kirk and Rosen, but still, they, they got yards when they needed it. You mentioned the Fitzgerald play at the end of the game. Um, we were 
flabbergasted that he was able to even make <laughs> that throw. Uh, I thought for sure it was going to be a throwaway, a punt, uh, and to be able to, to take command. That took the air out of the entire stadium. The Packers essentially quit at that point. I thought the Cardinals uh, were going to end up scoring a touchdown. They got into almost the red zone, uh, and thankfully they were able to hit the field goal. But to me, the, the Packers too many times look like they're either going through the motions or they're playing kind of backyard football. You're hearing a, a lot about Aaron Rodgers this year. So many throwaways, the plays to Devonte Adams, they're fantastic, but they're not really scripted. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the Cardinals, one of the things that I thought they'd be able to do, uh, if anything was, I thought they'd be able to rush the pass or a little bit. Belaga left the game early um, and give the Packers credit. They held up pretty well in protection. The Cardinals, only had one sack on the day by, of course, Chandler Jones. But in the second half, I thought the, the Packer line, I thought, protected pretty well. Aaron just didn't make the throws that were there. Uh, I thought the Cardinals tackled exceptionally well. And here's what I'll say. That second half, they did a much, much better job of tackling. And that was the adjustment that we've been asking for for weeks. And we finally got to watch it. Here's what I'll say about, Blake, the, the scheme right now that, that we're seeing defensively from Steve Wilkes. If there's a small chance if he's brought back next year, I, I think that you're going to have to get him at least two linebackers that fit his scheme. And, and I think those kind of players are the Gerald Hodges, Hodges of the world. I'll, I'll give him credit. I've knocked on him. He was a street free agent. He had 13 tackles on the game. And I know tackles are kind of a, a hollow stat nowadays. He was effective in the run game. He's the kind of player, and I and I signal him out because clearly the Hassan Reddicks of the world and the Dayon Buchanans, the guys that are undersized, do not feel um, do not fit Steve Wilkes' scheme defensively. Mm-hmm. You need to be bigger. You have to have more mass, but you also have to be able to run, and that's kind of rare. And you look at a little bit of like what Dallas has with Leighton Vander Esch and Jalen Smith. Uh, it would be great to have either one of those guys with Arizona right now, but somebody in that mold, if you're going to keep Steve Wilkes around there, there's too often. And I don't mean to get negative now after a win, but Hassan Reddick to me, he's in position uh, a fair amount. He just misses so many tackles. When you're talking about a guy who's six foot, maybe six one and about two thirty right now, whereas Hodges himself is six two, he's over two forty. That that's the kind of player I'm sure uh, the Thomas Davises of the world, the Luke Keekleys that Steve Wilkes is used to having at linebacker to be able to plug and fill a little bit more physical. You know, it, it was a little bit more finesse from the inside linebacker position. When Arians was here, you asked them to do a little bit more in space, sideline to sideline. The Cardinals, when they're running the scheme with uh, a four, three scheme with Wilkes, it's filling the gaps. You know, you let your safeties and your corners, you know, cover the space. Uh, on the outside of the tackles and, and Hodges did a nice job coming, coming out of nowhere, really being the every down linebacker in this game, which says a lot about the state of the Cardinals linebacker situation. Uh, I thought he was kind of under the radar and, and played really well because the Packers, especially in the second half, could, couldn't run the ball all that effectively. And so I'll give him credit. And it's just kind of a little bit of an Easter egg. If he's around, if Wilkes saves his job the last four weeks of the season, they're going to need two, beefy linebackers mm-hmm. not throwbacks not two down linebackers but guys who have size that can play all three downs and and they don't have that right now and so it's just just something to watch moving forward 
Yeah, I would agree. I think Jerome Hodges did a fine job filling in. And some of that, I think, is you just need to have a smart veteran at the mic position who can make tackles. And I think it's the edge coverage. I think you look at with Hassan Reddick on Jimmy Graham a couple of times. One of those was a, a pass that Graham dropped that you would have thought he would have had if not for, you know, I believe is a broken thumb and everything that he had earlier. And that's been what's most, I think, disappointing is as much as we can talk about, you know, the good plays, at least that we have with the Cardinals, with the young players, you have to get into some of at least the negatives. Mike Capati, um, he did go down to injury. The Cardinals, at least, are kind of have been scrambling for offensive line depth. DJ Humphreys, again, we kind of got you know an insinuation that he may be back this week. It seems that they're trying to avoid the season-ending injury or surgery for him, partially out of necessity with how racked they've been. I would at least put him on ice, especially if you're looking at needing to have plans for the 2019 season, and he is going to be one of your. Uh, you know, two tackles potentially depending on where you end up going in the draft or free agency if you end up trying to beef up the interior of the line I just think that what you're looking at with the Arizona Cardinals is in that transition from seeing a lot of the older kind of veteran players that you saw under and how Arians built around some of that older model it's kind of shown up where it's not been working and I think part of that is because you still see the Steve Kime trusting the guys like Yopati bringing back. You know, you got Antoine Bethea has been a great leader, a fantastic captain. You need some of those guys on your team. But it just feels like you're in the spot of the Cardinals are a young team that's having to kind of turn around and learn how to win. And with that comes a lot of growth. I'm going to even see with Byron Leftwich, you see some creativity they got in the second half. You look at some of the plays that they had designed and drew up. And then you look at some of the same type of issues. Of You got David Johnson running the ball kind of and still is not being used the same way you saw him used in 2016. I had to go back and see some of the play calls, what's been there. You're still seeing some limitations of the scheme. I'd be fascinated to find what Leftwich would look like when he gets to design his offense versus kind of running a tailored version of McCoy's. But even with the times and the plays that we're seeing called, there's still not a lot of change. And I think that's what you're going to want to see, at least is some of that fresh blood for next year. Uh, let's talk a little bit about with the Cardinal killing, because the Cardinals less than three hours after this game finished, Mike McCarthy was informed like, Hey, uh, you just lost the Cardinals, buddy. Like you got to get out. We can't keep you here for the rest of the season. It was almost in a lot of ways, kind of a mirrored version of we'd talked about with the Oakland Raiders game. Now the Cardinals followed that up with losing 40, 510 to the Chargers. We thought that they were going to be the team getting blown out here. Instead, it's not Steve Wilkes who ends up leaving, you know, getting the boot, but it's the guy on the opposite sideline and Mike McCarthy who's fired immediately. Packers, they knew they were moving on before the end of the season. So let's talk a little bit about, John, what does it mean that the Cardinals are now kind of a coach killer in the NFL? Where you're seeing, you know, them dismissing Mike McCarthy after they lose to the Cardinals on a, a missed field goal. What does it say then about with Steve Wilkes and his job tenure for next year? Maybe even a little bit of Steve Kime as well. Is this kind of going to be something where we look back on this game and say, this is the game where Steve Wilkes saves his job, or you think that he's still just as on a lot of the kind of tenuous ground, at least moving forward into the last four weeks of the season? No, I think it's week to week. Before I touch on that point, I can, I can say with certainty, Packer fans were not necessarily expecting this loss, but I don't, I don't think they were surprised. Mm. Like the Cardinals, they watch an inconsistent team every week. The Packers just have one more win than the Arizona Cardinals with Aaron Rodgers. Think about that for a second. They, they've won four games. The Cardinals have won three. The Packers, I'm not sure, Blake. I, I think this is true. I don't think they've run, won a road game all season. I, I, let me double check that. Yeah, I think that you're right. That they, they have won undefeated at home, though, and had a tie at home was the other game. Right, but they haven't won a road game. I mean, Aaron Rodgers can't win road games. So you think about it. The Cardinals come in as potentially the worst team in the league, probably after losing to Oakland, even though they have two wins. 
flying cross country, just gave up 25 straight completions to Phillip Rivers, playing in the snow, in the cold, and to just out-physical the Packers for four quarters. It'd be one thing if it was fluky and balls were batted all over the place, and it was the Cardinals outplayed the Packers all game in all three phases. That's why Mike McCarthy got fired. And to say that the Cardinals are a coach killer, if, that, if by that you mean they're so bad that opposing teams are firing their coach if you lose to them, I think that that sets the expectation that, okay, this is a nice win. It, I don't fret over draft positions now, especially when you have Rosen in the fold. What I do am concerned about is overreacting after one win. I don't think either one of us are going to do that, Blake. This team has four games to go. Let's see how they play. Sure, if the defense plays great the, the next four weeks against four franchise quarterbacks, then then you got something to talk about. But at the same time, they still only scored 20 points against the Packer team that's not great defensively. They still have matchups against the, the uh, LA Chargers, or excuse me, the LA Rams and the Seattle Seahawks back to back to end the season. Both are, are going to be playoff teams. You're going to go up this next week now against the Lions team that looks like it's in the same boat as the Packers team, kind of quitting on their coach potentially, decimated by injuries. Let's see how they do this week. I think Wilkes helped his case a, a, a notch. It was reported in your rap report said that all options are on the table from the coaching staff up into you know the front office, administration, personnel people. Um, certainly it doesn't hurt his cake, but I, I think it's far from a certainty uh, that, that he's going to stick around. Listen, you're going to, if you get blown out again to end this season, it's, it's, what have you done for me lately? And the Cardinals to me, it's a good litmus test. You're going to be playing the, the second and the first best teams in your division back to back weeks to end the season. If you get railroaded in both games, I don't care what you did against the Packer team that clearly believes they're underachieving. So long way to go for Steve. Uh, nothing's been decided. Yeah, it's a good win. That's one of the things that's great. I think you can say about this is it's a good win. You still beat the Green Bay Packers on the road in Lambeau. It's not like you had the Packers at home and it's not like you were kind of in a, in a position where, you know, you were coming off of a, you know, terrible, I mean, you were coming off a terrible, awful loss in which it looked like the team gave up. You showed some of that resiliency went out and you played for, as you said, even you played basically forced four solid quarters. You didn't even have a quarter where you just you tank. Now, what is interesting is, and I always had to look at this again to see how the game began, was you could see kind of instantly how the game was going to go from the start because you opened the game with six straight punts from both sides, showing just kind of that the offenses were inept. And I think that is the key when you talk about with Steve Wilkes is the Cardinals are still the 32nd ranked offense in the NFL, and the offense is marginally improved week to week with Byron Leftwich. Uh, I think what we've realized a little bit more of is this is something that's a possibility is the Arian scheme. If that's kind of what he's trying to run, that was always a scheme that David Johnson was still kind of pushed into and they adapted to his strengths with the interior runs. Kerwin Williams was by far and Chris Johnson even was by far the much better runners as far as being able to get skinny, being able to uh, run North to South, being able to be more direct. Whereas David Johnson would be the guy on the outside and utilizing the receiving skills and then when he had space in the middle to run into, then you were able to see him kind of take off for some of those big gains. So it wasn't as much of a surprise to me to see that Chase Edmonds would get featured. I think it's been a while that that's been kind of happening. And he's also the better pass protector over David Johnson. So when the Packers are sending blitzes, that was part of the reason I think that you saw Edmonds kind of take off. And he's a guy I think has got a great role as far as being kind of a second guy in a one, 
one-two punch if you can utilize um, some of those skills. He turned a you know four-yard loss into a six-yard gain in one of the different plays earlier. And I think that he's got still a pretty bright future in the league. I, I still think trick talk of trading David Johnson is pretty crazy, especially after the, what we've looked at. He had a good game. Let's go ahead and take it from there and not put too much into it, like you said. And I think especially make sure that it's important to recognizing that the Cardinals won a game they weren't supposed to, but we still haven't seen them be able to kind of go in and take care of business against a team like how they've needed to. That's been the biggest thing I think we've been missing. We saw them struggle for three and a half quarters against the Niners, didn't get a chance to really put them away until it was late in the game with a lot of the turnovers and them self-destructing. We didn't see them, you know, they were able to kind of rally from behind in the fourth quarter in their last win. We haven't seen them be able to kind of go out and take care of business against a bad team. Were they able to kind of say, yep, they were the better team all throughout. We haven't seen an overly dominant performance from the either that's what i'd love to see from them against the detroit lions and we'll get through all of that Uh, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about just with some answering some of our questions that we have at least one of the questions i know that we have from teaching agent jeff that we wanted to go over is um but reddick and buchanan what are we looking at as far as with with reddick and buchanan so far because buchanan was out today did not play you saw gerald hodges took an impact john the cardinals are in a spot where their biggest need as far as maybe the draft when we get to it might actually even be at a linebacker what are we looking at as far as with Hassan Reddick, Dale Buchanan, and Josh Bynes, you think, moving forward? I think that's the most, outside of the offensive line, I think that's the position that's going to see the most change this offseason. I think Dale Buchanan has probably played maybe his last game as an Arizona Cardinal, should he be inactive the last four weeks of the season. His injury is kind of undisclosed at this point, but clearly um, it's a shame because I think he was utilized correctly under – Bruce Arians and, and his coordinators running a 4-3, but for whatever reason, Steve Wilkes does not see him as a valuable piece to have defensively. Uh, we talked about the size potentially being a factor. Dayon was hurt in the offseason, came back probably out of shape, did not play well. And um, again, injury uh, has derailed uh, the last couple of years for Dayon. I think he's going to be gone. He's a free agent to be. Wouldn't be surprised. Uh, again, if he rebounded elsewhere, it's going to be difficult to watch, but I could see him depending on where Todd Bowles ends up. He could very well go um, with the Cardinals, uh, former defensive coordinator, James Betcher, end up in, in the New York with the Giants. Um, but I, he's gone. I absolutely feel that way. There's no way he's coming back. Josh Bynes has uh, received a two-year extension last offseason, so presumably he will be back next season in the fold uh, in some way, shape, or form. Again, you just got to look at him as a, <clears throat> as a uh, I don't want to say a fringe guy, capable starter. Uh, Hassan Reddick to me is, is just the guy at this point. We've seen uh, a year and a half of tape on him, potentially two years. We know at this point he is who he is. He can't play at a high level. He just doesn't make big time plays, right? Mm-hmm. You want your linebackers to be around the football, forcing fumbles, catching interceptions, tackle for losses. His stat sheet is, is, is hollow. He's got a handful of tackles every week, but he doesn't do anything well, right? The Cardinals drafted him 13th overall, <clears throat> cough, cough, right behind Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes, who he will always be tied to, uh, to be an impact inside linebacker. The Cardinals said that they had a top five grade on him, that they thought he could be in the form of, you know, of, of all pro inside linebacker, like a Bobby Wagner. Last year, inexplicably, when the Cardinals had an injury to Marcus Golden, they tried to force him to play outside in a 3-4. Uh, after bouncing him back and forth to inside and outside, couldn't get comfortable. This year, presumably with Wilkes in the fold, you thought, okay, he's going to find his niche. He has not played well. 
he's got now his opportunities. So you can't say, well, they don't play him enough. He's inconsistent like Robert Kimdichie, but Kimdichie at least flashes, you know, great performances. Mm-hmm. Reddick to me, uh, I think at this point, he's just a guy. He, you know, who he reminds me of a lot is Ernie Williams or Ernie Stims, mm-hmm. the, the former Lions linebacker who went really high, who put up a lot of tackles, but couldn't do anything great. Uh, Reddick to me is, is in that same mold. He's in the Aaron Curry mode at this point. He's somebody, unless they can salvage his career, he's somebody who's going to be probably forced onto the next defensive coordinator to try to fix him, but clearly they're not going to be married to him. Blake, you mentioned this to me off air. I think it's a great idea. If you can package Hassan Reddick to a team that thinks they can fix him, that thinks they can, they have the scheme to unlock his potential, potentially even as a pass rusher, I think you take what you can get in the offseason. Maybe you can get something as high as a third-round pick. Maybe you package him with other players and you, and you get something else. Maybe he'd go on a Patrick Peterson deal. But at right now, I don't think he is capable of being an every-down impact linebacker. It's unfortunate because, again, this is a guy we drafted roughly 18 months ago, 13th overall. 13th we're still overall. having trade rumors. There's still trade rumors, at least in teams inquiring and asking, at least, about him. And yeah. whenever you hear that, you're like, oh, that wouldn't happen. And you're like, well... There's always a reason where there's a little bit of smoke. There's got to be some type of fire for that. And I think that was even the same as we saw with Patrick Peterson situation. I uh, definitely agree with the take there on John with Reddick. It's, it, it's been rough. Uh, speaking of Patrick Peterson, it's interesting to think about how as much as fans, I've talked to a lot of fans who basically are like, you know, if Steve Wilkes like is, is going to stay next year, if the Cardinals keep winning for that one, I don't want them to win or people who are like looking to try to tank for a higher draft spot. The Cardinals realistically move maybe back one spot from third to fourth to tied with the Jets. Now, who, unfortunately the Jets, uh, Todd Bowles clearly uh, had his, uh, his version of the Mike McCarthy game this Sunday where it blew a 16 to zero lead to the Titans. At least Mike Vrabel's done a impressive job of being able to kind of edge out wins with that team overall, despite, the struggles they've had on offense even defense in some cases but it'd be interesting at least to see you know if Patrick Peterson if you do end up saying let's say the Cardinals beat the Lions they beat the Falcons or maybe you end up having it where it's flipped around and they're able to steal one late in Seattle for at least a reason to place hard for that game maybe you end up seeing it being more likely that the Cardinals are to win the more likely that Patrick Peterson is able to kind of embrace looking at coming back to this team maybe that's something that ends up changing kind of some of that narrative and if that's the case I know that's where a lot of Cardinals fans are like saying they would prefer to hey hey we have well gone peterson stays maybe peterson if they see that the cardinals are going to be firing their head coach and having to start from scratch maybe that's part of the contribution there's a lot still to figure out with some of those games moving forward but i, I do think that's something to think about uh, speaking of that let's talk about with uh, from at monster demo three you had the question how long will it take the cardinals to rebound realistically Ooh. Great question. John, I'll shoot it to you. But first, the question, the stipulation I would have is, when you're saying rebound, what is the definition then of rebound going to mean for this team? Yeah, that, that is a great question, and it's, an, it's a not an easy, easy answer. Uh, it's not going to be a rebound like it was with Arians to 2012 to 2013, because presumably, at least not early on, you're not going to find uh, a head coach as, as good as Bruce Arians next year. You can get a John Filippo. He could be great. He may not be great right away. Uh, Arians was the perfect storm for this franchise. They were very fortunate to have him as long as they did. It ran its course. He's retired now. But uh, again, to me, what it would look like a turnaround, I think, is bringing the right kind of offensive-minded head coach with with Josh Rosen next year. You, You work through the growing pains. You see improvement on both sides of the ball. And then in 2020, you compete for a playoff berth. Unless, you know, 
you're having, and look at, I would phrase it like this. Look at Indianapolis who has a better quarterback, um, you know, some, a better offensive line, mm-hmm. uh, potentially, you know, better receiving. I like T Y Hilton and Eric Ebron a lot more than what the Cardinals are going to trot out this week. And then defensively, you know, the Cardinals have a better defense, but they haven't played better defensively this year. And the Colts are going to be a fringe playoff team in the AFC, which a lot of people think is far worse than the NFC. That's with improvements at quarterback and offensive line. The Cardinals don't have either one of those things right now. So you think about if they're in that position next year, that improvement's probably going to be for a team that a lot of people assume is one of the worst teams in the league. Maybe seven or eight wins, I think, is realistic. Um, again, it's the NFL. You can turn over your roster real quick, and we've seen Kime do that. Uh, and a good, a couple of good drafts, you know, move together, uh, strung together, I should say, it can get you a lot. And, and who knows you're going to need, if you, if you want to be competitive enough to be in that playoff conversation next year, you're going to need two things to happen. Number one is you're going to need picks from last year and this year to make the jump to a pro bowl level or capable starting player in 2019, Christian Kirk, Buda Baker, um, these guys, Josh Rosen, have to play at a very high level next year. Then you have to have Hassan Reddick, Cunningham, these guys that you've drafted, that you've developed, can't turn into capable starters, right? You're, you're going to need Mason Cole to take the next, next step. Those are just a couple things. And then second, you're going to have to nail this offseason. You're going to have to nail the head coach. You're going to have to nail the offseason in terms of the, the players that you sign, impact starters on the offensive line maybe a couple key starters in, in, uh, in the receiving room. And then defensively, if you can find, you know, a three down linebacker, if you can find a number two corner, presumably if you, if you keep Patrick Peterson, uh, and then you got to nail the draft, you got to rebuild the offensive line. Let's say you take Jonah Williams, Jonah Williams needs to come in right away and be an impact left tackle immediately. He's got to have the kind of impact right away that you're seeing from a lot of these young players for the Indianapolis Colts. I keep going back. I think that's a good comparison for the Cardinals to a lesser extent, but the Colts had a lot of things going for them. They had, you know, Andrew Luck coming back from injury, presumably fresh and ready to go. And then they had, I think like five or six second round picks this year, uh, or four or five, something ridiculous. So the Cardinals have to have a lot of things go right. And it's not impossible. I mean, you know, we've seen it happen before. And I think that, you know, when, when folks say, well, John DeFilippo doesn't want to go in the NFC West doesn't want to coach against Jared Goff or some of these coaches. The NFL, the best part about the NFL, it's so fluid. The teams, the rosters, people take a downturn quickly. Teams take a downturn quickly. Unless you're in the AFC East with New England, anything's possible. Anybody who thought the Cardinals were going to win 10 games in 2013 after the, the Seahawks and the Niners were clearly the two best teams in football, or especially the NFC in 2012, 2013, you'd say you're crazy. But it, it definitely can happen, but it's going to take, you're going to have to, to use a baseball reference, you're going to have to bat probably like 600 this offseason. Yeah, there's a lot that'll have to take place. Fortunately, the Cardinals do have at least, you know, the draft picks, they'll have players that'll be coming back, and they'll also have, you know, a huge amount of cap room. That'll be very fascinating to watch. Um, but speaking of kind of the offseason and team construction, we got our kind of our last question as we wrap it up, kind of at least for uh, this episode of the podcast. Uh, this is from at Kent underscore Hoder. 
why does Kime and the Cardinals front office seem to have an issue moving forward with the league trend? We're building a team to compete in the late 90s or early 2000s right now. I think that's a great question. I'm, I'll start a little bit with looking at with Kime and how I think that when they came into this season, the Cardinals were anticipating – uh, a not a rebuild, but trying to figure out, hey, we want to keep winning. I think that was the biggest area the Cardinals came in was they overestimated some of where their talent was and where their strengths were. I think they came in saying, we have no quarterback. We've got a defense. We have David Johnson. All right, here's what we're going to do. We know what we were building around with a lot of stuff with Mike Yupati. We were building around kind of this run blocking offensive line. If we're going to be trying to have to reconstruct this offense, let's just say, Hey, let's get a defense that forces takeaways. Let's get a defense that is going to be strong and upfront. And let's focus on having an offense that will be able to manage the game. They effectively wanted to try to become the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I think what we've seen with the league is that it's unsustainable to have that. I think that they went in with the idea of being able to follow up with what Steve looks like. And as you and I, John talked about, we disagreed fundamentally with, a lot of those views or we felt the Cardinals needed to focus on offensive football, being able to incorporate, you know, the next level of trends, being able to bring in the spread game, being able to focus on drafting and developing a young rookie, make use of that young rookie quarter, a quarterback contract. And the Cardinals, I think were maybe tricked is the right word. Maybe it's a learning lesson that had to be seen. But I think that is one of the questions you have is, and part of the criticism we've had of Wilkes and of Mike McCoy not advancing part of the reason why Mike McCartney was Mike McCarthy is now without a job after having to leave Green Bay. I think that Steve Kime is a guy who maybe when you look at how Bruce Arians constructed the team, they needed to take the next step as well. And we saw through 2016 and 2017, after things went downhill in 2016 fast, they needed to take that next step in the 2017 gear. And they did not. They kind of went and pursued the opposite direction. I think that maybe it's a learning lesson. And learning lessons are fine to have. The thing is, you have to be able to not make the same mistake twice. You have to learn from it. You see with Josh Rosen, quick, quick, uh, uh, what is it called? Short-term memory. Almost throws an interception on a pass that could have maybe ended the game for the Cardinals' next throw. Very similar throw that he ends up making for that one. Ends up going right to Larry Fitzgerald while he's on the run running rolling away from pressure that's the type of thing you need to see with steve kind we've seen the same type of inability to find guys who are healthy on the offensive line i looked up and saw the dj humphreys when the cardinals drafted him he actually was coming off of an ankle and a knee injury and we've still seen the same type of ankle and knee injuries sign mike upati you see the first few weeks of the season even through this the season he ends up being healthy ends up getting nicked up throughout the year but then in 2016 and 2017 battles injuries all throughout you see the same with justin Pugh. i think it's that same type of lack of learning lessons which is why some fans are saying it's, it's not steve wilkes fault here he was put into a poor situation wasn't the right coach for maybe what this team needed they're kind of saying this may be more steve kimes fault and i think that's what the team has to figure out is either they'll have to bring in the right coach and renovate and change themselves around and be saying all right we made the wrong choice let's get the right guy in here i think i would still move on from steve wilkes now maybe if you do end up saying we're going to keep wilkes and kime for a second season I've gotten an article I've wanted to write and work on a little bit. I'll have some of that up tomorrow. And John, I shared some of the stats even with you. When teams bring in and end up landing a top five pick, on average, it's about 80% of the time, the head coach and the GM, usually they're gone within like a year. Like either the head coach or the GM, someone's gone within a year. Someone always has to take the fall for getting a top five pick. The only kind of exception seemed to be if a team got a top five pick, 
you know, like about 10 out of the 12 guys who kept their jobs were general managers. They were general managers and went, gosh, this is not good. We need to let go of whoever our current coaches or make a move on. Or maybe in some cases like the Jaguars, they just took a very slow building process. Each case, they always moved on from their head coach, found a different coach to be able to bring in. And then they saw success by learning from that mistake. And I think that might be what the Cardinals have to do. If Steve Kime is going to keep his job, I think you have to move on from Wilkes. If that's not the case, then I think, all right, then if that's not the case, you want to keep Wilkes, they win three out of the five. Let's bring him back. But here's the thing. His leash is going to be very short. And what we're realizing is that Byron Lefwich, if he can bring in and can impress and can bring in many of those same type of concepts and kind of be that guy who's that link to the future, then maybe you're saying, hey, well, let's let go Steve Wilkes after week six or week seven and give Lefwich the reins, see if he's the guy to kind of take them forward. It's still a tentative situation, I think, overall. But that's where I think from the Cardinals, I think it's going to have to start with. A commitment to change because otherwise this team they're going to be on that same path at least if they bring back Welch for a year or two and expect different results it's going to be just I think a travesty at least at this point if that's the case even if you do end up seeing some improvement from the team which we've seen marginal improvement from this team winning in 2016 and then winning some late games in 2017 and it didn't lead into anything good in 2018. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd love to touch on that original point, Blake, of Steve Kime and his lack of of picking with the trends uh, as the question was poised, why doesn't he uh, move to where the league is going? You remember in 2012, what had taken over the league was the mole quarterback, Russell Wilson, Colin Kaepernick, RG3. That was the trend. Geno Smith was playing well. Uh, and what did Steve Kime do? He went the opposite direction. He, he doubled down on what the Cardinals were already doing and doing poorly. Big lumbering quarterback, 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", the John Skeletons of the world, uh, the seven-step drops that Ken Wisenhut had instituted, and he doubled down with Bruce Arians and Carson Palmer, and it worked out. The league transitioned back to a more pocket-style, uh, pocket-passer-style of quarterback play. And I think to a fault now, Kime thinks that, you know what, I probably can wait out this new trend. Defense is going to come back in vogue. Offense is important right now. But look, Mm -hmm. the Dallas Cowboys just shut down the New Orleans Saints on TV. It can be done if you've got dominant defensive personnel. I think how Dallas runs their team is exactly how the Cardinals thought they were going to run in 2018, which is ridiculous because Dallas, I think – Better defensive personnel, better linebackers. We touched on that. Significantly better offensive line. And Dak Prescott, right, now is a better quarterback than Josh Rosen just based on the amount of starts that he's had. The Cardinals right now are a team with a broken offensive line, a rookie quarterback who's got all the potential in the world and needs to have his mind expanded offensively, needs to be challenged, but doesn't have that individual right now in the room, I don't think. And then defensively, they've just got a kind of a lot of it's like the island of misfit toys, a lot of a lot of good players, very few great players and uh, a defensive coordinator that is more concerned about scheme than playing to their strengths, which is the opposite approach that Bruce Arians took. So it's it's concerning to me that Kime didn't identify this a year ago, but I think he thought to himself, you know, L.A., the Rams, that's a trend, what we're seeing. This is a trend that's going to come back down. The The NFL has ebbs and flows, and it could very well do that. But I, I just think, Blake, with all the rule changes, the, the fact that you can't grab receivers, you can't touch quarterbacks, really the only the only place you can be physical is up front on the offensive and the defensive line. 
I just think the NFL wants to put, it has done so much to help the offense that you need to buy in completely. Mitch Trubisky to me, I don't know if he'd be able to play in this league 20 years ago. Certainly he wouldn't be putting up these kind of numbers. I think he's a limited quarterback and he's, he's going to throw what 30 plus touchdowns. He was on pace to throw at least that had he not gotten hurt, which is just unthinkable, but that's the NFL game today. And that's why I think so many people are excited and want Josh Rosen to have the opportunity to work with an innovative offensive mind. And so I agree. If they bring Steve Wilkes back, you you mentioned a short leash. I don't, I don't, I don't see that as the case because I think next year, if you have another poor season, you bring back Steve Wilkes. I think everybody is gone at the end of next year. It could still happen this year, but you know, you what's the point of firing Steve Wilkes mid season next year. You've already wasted two years of Josh Mm -hmm. Rosen's prime on a rookie deal. And now you're in a position where you have to do a full blown rebuild. You have an opportunity now. It may be tough to swallow in the short term because you like Steve Wilkes, the person but you have to do the right professional business decision, and that is to upgrade the head coaching position for sustained success. You can't, look at what's happening in Carolina right now. Carolina just gutted the majority of their staff. Ron Rivera looks like he's going to get pushed out of Carolina. That was Steve Wilkes' mentor and the individual that he came from. That's the coaching tree he comes from. It's not the Andy Reid coaching tree that they're all doing well. It's not the Bill Belichick coaching tree. It's the Ron Rivera coaching tree. And a year later, he, they both might be out of a job. What does that say about your philosophy as a head coach? I don't think it speaks well at all. Yeah, it's tough to be able to talk about stuff as far as with firings and other stuff, especially after the Cardinals were, you know, after a 45 to 10 thing got willed into a win. That's kind of the biggest thing. I want to make sure we're not forgetting that point. And if it's an area where you believe Absolutely. in Wilkes, at least as far as being a motivator and being able to go through, that's that's fine. So, I, I, But some people have talked about with the staff and some of the other areas, at least. And that's been, I think, what's been most difficult for me. And I think you know, that'll be one of the things we'll talk about in our next podcast is a couple of stories behind with leadership, some of the Cardinals, and just some of the areas, at least, where there's, even though despite that there's a fact for a win, I think that a lot of it is, and I'll kind of finish with this tonight, is the Cardinals are in a spot where you've beaten a terrible team in the San Francisco 49ers. You beat a team that just fired their head coach because they've been performing so bad. What I want to see Steve Wilkes is to be able to prove that this is where he belongs is to go out and beat the Niners or beat the Rams. Because that I think will be the biggest testament is if you can compete in the division and be able to put together a consistent and solid game plan to be able to stop and slow those offenses. And then you can have enough creativity on offense where you can say, yeah, left, which we can see the advancement and improvement week to week at least where he's going to be the guy moving forward that he'll be able to develop and mold Josh Rosen's mind then I think you'll have me convinced as of right now with the Cardinals they're still being ranked 32nd in offense and even though there's a lot to overcome because of the injuries the other areas there's still not enough progress I think that you're being able to see be made uh, as far as and a quick rapid development to be able to say yes we are good with this setup and on defense, I think you do need to still see those type of game plans to limit the high-performing offense. It's not a struggling Packers offense that you know just got their head coach fired. So uh, let's go ahead. That'll be it for at least this edition of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, thank you guys again, at least for those who did listen, at least to follow John's adventures on Twitter with the uh, at Lambeau Field and then being able to kind of follow me at least throughout with listening. Uh, it was a pleasure to be on the Bo Show. I would definitely recommend you being able to listen in to and follow him at Bo Baraka. Make sure you follow us as well. John, can you let our listeners know again where they can find you as always on the twitter.com 
Yeah, at Johnny's Football, J-O-H-N-N-Y-S Football. Blake, where can they find you on the line? Yeah, you can find my writings on Revenge of the Birds, and you'll be able to also follow me at Blake Murphy 7 Make sure you're also following the Revenge of the Birds podcast official Twitter feed at ROTB Pod. We'll have everything else on at Revenge of Birds as well. And look for the podcast. Again, we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Uh, you'll be able to even do a Google search for some of that. We'll have all of our podcasts are also available uh, from our Twitter page at Art. 19.com uh, you'll be able to find the link there to all of our past and previous pods so make sure that you like and subscribe uh, we love all of you guys who tune in and listen each week thanks again for joining hi i'm karis fisher i want to tell you about another podcast you should check out it's called recode decode every week i talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world i interview tech executives like facebook ceo mark zuckerberg political figures like hillary clinton and media personalities like john Kerry. Who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.